The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. That video just came in this week. Uh, and guys, if you go ahead and bring the house lights up. There we go. Uh, it just came in this week, and some of you may wonder, what are we doing? Well, we've got one of the largest st- staffs and forces uh, in the Philippines of any group ministering to the people who survived that terrible typhoon. And your faithful giving, many of you may not know this, but you need to. Uh, if you put a dollar in the offering plate at this church, the first 10 cents of that dollar goes to the cooperative program. And the cooperative program not only funds the International Mission Board, it funds the North American Mission Board, it funds all of our seminaries, it funds all of our colleges here in Alabama, it provides us to be able to minister here at home in our county, in our, in our state, in our nation, and then around the world. And so the missionaries that you saw there are following in the footsteps of the lady we're going to talk about this morning. And I want you to know I'm not preaching about Lottie Moon today. I'm preaching about Jesus. I want you to understand that, all right? Uh, But there's never been a time in my life when I did not know about Lottie Moon. And this will be the last year as a pastor uh, I get to encourage you to give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And I have unashamedly asked people to give to that offering for the last 43 years. Before I came here as your pastor, I believed in the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Since I've been here as your pastor, I've had opportunities to see where our Lottie Moon dollars go and all the good that they do. And I can say more than ever before, if you want to invest your money in kingdom work, uh, you need to give as liberal as you can uh, to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Give over and above your tithe to that, uh, but give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. And when you find that scripture, please stand up as we show our respect for the reading of God's word. These are the words the angel said to the shepherds outside of Bethlehem on that first Christmas night. This is the word of God. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people today, a savior who is Messiah the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. May God add his blessings to the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. You know, just a little bit after Christmas, in fact, the day after Christmas, we're going to leave and go to the Holy Land. Mary and I are getting excited about going. We got our travel documents yesterday. Uh, I found out one thing. Uh, We had to renew our passports, and when I sent our passport applications in, uh, it was during the time the government was shut down. But you'll be happy to know that while your government was shut down, they took my check and cashed it. So somebody was working for your government when they were shut down, and we do have our passports, and we're ready to go. And we're going to visit a lot of exciting places, and that's why I wanted to talk to you about the different places. If you go to Bethlehem uh, with us, or if you're going to Bethlehem with us, uh, Bethlehem is nothing like what it was in the days uh, when Jesus was born there. In those days, Bethlehem and Nazareth as well were just little small Jewish villages. Today, they are large towns. Today, they are not inhabited by Jewish people much. They're inhabited by Arabs uh, in, to a great extent, and they are big cities in the Arab world, especially in Israel. And so, but when Jesus was born there, Bethlehem was just a little small town and there were shepherd's fields all around Bethlehem. Bethlehem is kind of elevated. It sits on a ridge, and you go about five miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, and then all around Bethlehem were pastures where sheep would graze. 
And so in those days, there were shepherds out there watching their sheep. And the angels came to those shepherds, and at first the shepherds were afraid. They'd never seen anything like that. You know, we hear so much about Christmas. Sometimes I think Christmas, the story of Christmas, becomes commonplace to us. I hope you don't allow that to happen. I hope that you'll be like a child hearing the story of Christmas for the very first time to realize that God loved you enough to send his son who was born and laid in a manger and then that later on nailed to a cross that you and I might have everlasting life. But when you go to Bethlehem, you remember the things that happened in Bethlehem. You remember how David was in one of those shepherd's fields hundreds of years before Jesus was born, tending his father's sheep, and Samuel sent for David because he had looked at all of Jesse's sons, and he said, none of these sons are going to be the next king of Israel. There's not anybody else. And Jesse kind of said, well, Samuel, there is one little kid, but he's just out there. He's just a, a young teenager. In fact, the well, only thing we let him do is watch the sheep. Now, Jesse was very humble about David. David had already uh, killed a lion and a bear, and uh, he, he was uh, not to be sneezed at. He, he was a man in his own right. But they sent for him. When he came in, Samuel said, this is the one. And he anointed David to be king of Israel from one of those very shepherd's fields outside of Bethlehem. Bethlehem was a small place. But the greatest event in history took place in Bethlehem. An event that not only changed the world, but it's changed millions and maybe even billions of lives because God came down to earth wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. Years after Jesus was born, a young woman named Lottie Moon, her name was Charlotte Diggs Moon, and December plays a prominent part in her life. She was born on December 12, 1840 in Albemarle, Virginia. As a child, she enjoyed the life of a, a wealthy planter's daughter. Uh, she was given the best of everything. Uh, her family believed in education. You ladies may not realize this, uh, but really only after the 20th century uh, were women really given a chance on a broad scale to be afforded an education. Uh, most of the time, women were trained at their mother's knees. They were trained to sew and to cook and to take care of their children, and everybody thought that's what a woman should do. But the Moon family was a little bit different. Her father was wealthy, and he wanted his children to have the best in life, so he insisted on his children getting an education. But then a tragic thing happened when Lottie was only 12. And by the way, her life was full of tragedy. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that as we go on. But when she was 12 years of age, her father died suddenly and unexpectedly, either of a stroke or a heart attack on a business trip. But her mother said, your dad will want you to go on to school. Her oldest brother became a medical doctor. Here's another tragic note. After he became a medical doctor, he died from pe treating people with typhoid fever. He contracted typhoid fever and died. Her oldest sister was one of the first women in the South to obtain a medical degree, and she became a doctor. Uh, when Lottie was 14 years old, she was sent to a girl's school, and later a man that those of you who remember the old Broadman hymnal, you won't know him, but you'll know his name, uh, that there are two great Baptist leaders whose names make up Broadman, John A. Broadus and Basil Manley. And they took Broad and Man and put it together, and for many years all of our material had Broadman press on it. And it was in memory of these two great Baptist giants in the early days of the Southern Baptist Convention. And John A. Broadus was the pastor of the church that sponsored this girls' school. Now, when she went there in 1854, she was not saved. In fact, not only was she not saved, 
she was kind of a troublemaker. Uh, I like that about Lottie Moon. I'm glad no, I'm not the only troublemaker God's ever spoken to and called to the ministry. But uh, she was a troublemaker. She had not been baptized herself. But when the little children, would come, little girls would come to school for the very first time, Lottie would pick out the ones who were new and she'd take them aside and she'd ask them, have you been baptized? And the little girls would say, no, I've not been baptized. And she'd say, oh, you're in trouble. You, this is a Baptist school. And you can't come to this school unless you've been baptized. Now mark my words, she had not even been converted, much less baptized. But she would strike fear into these young children because they walked down the halls thinking that some Baptist preacher was going to pick them up and run them either to the creek or to a church that had a baptistry and baptize them on the spot. That's one of the pranks she pulled. And she hated the school bell. Every morning at 6 o'clock, the school bell rang. And one morning, the man who rang the bell went out and he pulled on the rope that rang the bell and nothing happened. And it was in a steeple and it was hard to get to and they had to get ladders and finally they went up there in the steeple and they found that some mischievous student had tied bed sheets around the clapper on the bell and no matter how hard they pulled on the bell it would not ring would you like to guess who did that it was saint lottie she she was a scamp but John A. Broadus and some other people realized she needed to be saved, and they began to pray for her. And here it is again, December. December 1858. She's 18 years old. She went to a revival meeting in December, and John A. Broadus preached. And she came under conviction, and she went back to her room. Now, in those days, Brother Paul, I know you and, and Brother Bill will remember this. In those days, they would tell people, you have to pray through. Do you all remember that? You have to pray through to get to God. And that's what they told Lottie Moon. And she went to her room and in an all-night prayer meeting turned from her sin to faith in Jesus Christ as an 18-year-old young woman. The Civil War started not long after that. Her mother invested all of their wealth in Confederate war bonds. And after the war was over, those bonds were worthless, and the only thing she had was what little bit of land the family still had, and they began to sell that land off in parcels so that the family could live. Her mother died in 1870. During that time, Lottie Moon, who was always doing something uh, that, that was unique, she was at a little church in Virginia, and all the men went off to war, and they lost their Sunday school superintendent. In those days, it was unheard of for a woman to take any kind of responsibility in a church. But they didn't have anybody else. And Lottie Moon had an education. And she said, if nobody else will be the Sunday school superintendent, then I'll do it. And you can visit that church today. It hasn't really changed all that much. If you look at the old pictures of the church, it's like many churches, Baptist churches were in the early days of Alabama. It was a white frame building, and there were two doors in the front. Now let me tell you why there were two doors in the front. One door was for the men, the other door was from the women. And if you were a woman, you knew where your door was, and you knew where your side of the church was. Believe it or not, when I was a ministerial student at Samford University in 1966, I went to a church up in Clay County that still had that kind of building, still had the two doors. I didn't have any idea about that. I was a city boy. I'd never been in a country church. I started to walk in the wrong door, and the pastor said, No, son, don't go in that door. 
And I said, why not? He said, that's the women's door. Well, I thought I was going to walk in the women's restroom or something, but that was where the women, and when, when he went in, he said, sit on this side. You see, those were traditions. Now listen, if traditions are meaningful and good and they help everybody, I'm not against tradition. But Lottie Moon said, I'll serve as Sunday school superintendent. And as far as we know, she was the first woman to ever serve, especially in that church as a Sunday school superintendent. And then God called her after her mother's death to go to China as a missionary. And so in 1873, she left. Her younger sister had gone before her as a missionary in China. And her younger sister had a problem with loneliness there. And so they thought that when these two sisters, the two moon girls got together, that that would solve her younger sister's loneliness, but it did not. And in fact, it was much more than loneliness. It was depression. And pretty soon she was not able to stay in China and she returned home. And here's another great tragedy of Lottie Moon's life that many people don't know. While she was in China serving as a missionary, her younger sister who had returned back to, back to Virginia then went to Florida. And while she was in Florida, she became so depressed she took her own life. Lottie Moon received word on the mission field that her sister had taken her own life. Well, notice what she said in 1887. She said, how many there are who imagine that because Jesus paid it all, they need pay nothing. Forgetting that the prime object of their salvation was that they should follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ in bringing back a lost world to God. That's in one of her letters that the WMU building has over off Highway 280. If you ever want to go over there and see some artifacts from Lottie Moon, they have a wonderful collection of Lottie Moon artifact. Well, that's Lottie's life. She got to China. What about her lessons in China? Well, first of all, she did what she knew to do, and she opened a boarding school for Chinese girls in order to share the gospel. And she was a teacher there, and she got others to teach, but she opened a school for Chinese girls. One of the things in opening that school, the Chinese at that time had a habit of whenever a girl baby was born, they wanted that baby to have tiny little feet. And if you go to the WMU building, you can see some of the Chinese shoes that Ch not Chinese children, but Chinese women wore. And most of them are less than three inches long. What they would do is they would take the toes of these little girls and they would bind them tightly under their feet. Now you can imagine the excruciating pain that is. And they started when they were infants to do this. And Lottie Moon would tell them, this is not a good thing to do. And so she was able to save some of the girls in that Chinese boarding school from having their feet bound. You can go and see those little three-inch women's shoes today. And Lottie Moon was able to help not just spread the gospel, but she was helped to teach the Chinese people that that was not something they needed to do. She also did something unusual. Most missionaries dressed in Western clothing, and she did not. She assumed Chinese garb. In fact, she was so small, she was only about five feet tall, and she could dress in Chinese clothing and put something over her head and pass for a Chinese woman. And her Chinese speech was almost flawless. And so many times people would not even realize they passed Lottie Moon. They thought they were passing a Chinese person on the pass. She was fluent in several dialects. Whenever she moved somewhere, she learned all the history of that area so she could relate to the people there. In other words, she became one of them. Hey, who is that like? Hmm, does that ring a bell? 
She became like one of them. Did somebody become like one of us? I think he did. He came a much further distance than from America. He came from heaven. And he assumed the identity of a man. He was fully God, and yet he was fully man. He was enough God as if he were not man at all, and enough man as if he were not God at all. But he was the God man, and there's only one, that's Jesus. She was following in his footsteps, showing the Chinese people her heart. She may have been from America, but her heart was in China. I always thought she never went back, but I found in my studies for this message, she went back on two occasions. They were supposed to be allowed to go back every 10 years and spend a year in the States every, for every 10 years they spent on the mission field. She made two trips back to America. In one of those trips, she settled her family's estate, and it was not much, but she had a little money, probably more money than she'd ever had in her life, because when she was in China, the money that she got from the mission board, she spent on helping her Chinese people. She literally was one of the most selfless people that ever lived. She was our Mother Teresa. Now, many of you have heard of Mother Teresa. Well, I want to tell you, uh, Lottie Moon does not take a back seat to Mother Teresa. She was doing the same kind of work in a difficult place long before Mother Teresa was born. And she lived in Ting Chow. But notice this. Sometimes she visited as many as 200 villages a month. And remember, she did it all on foot. She didn't have a horse to ride or a buggy to ride in. She walked almost everywhere she went. There were railroads when she had a long trip, and there were ships that sailed up and down the rivers, but most of her work was done on foot. Well, what is her legacy? Well, she invested not only her life, but also her money into missions. The portion of her family's estate she had, she spent it all in her work in China. She asked the mission board to send more missionaries but they sent her a letter, and it said, Miss Moon, our mission board is $600,000 in debt. We can't possibly send any more missionaries or any more money to China. And so she supported her own work out of her limited savings. There was a Chinese revolution in 1912 that the missionaries thought would open the door to China because they thought they were going to have for the first time religious freedom and also for the first time in the history of China they did away with the Chinese calendar and installed a Christian calendar but that revolution did not last long but it was costly there'd be years of continuous struggle until communism finally took over in fact they fought each other until the Japanese invaded them in the 1930s and then they had to come together to fight the Japanese and then after they they fought the Japanese with our help, by the way. They turned to communism. And all the missionaries were expelled after World War II or killed where Lottie Moon worked. The revolution brought famine and people were forced. Now, th this amazes me. If you ever hear me telling my uh, stories that are fables about my youth, somebody heard it. They didn't like it. I heard that. I tell people when I was a child, we were so poor that I had to walk to school barefooted. And it was five miles, and it was uphill both ways. And sometimes I even embellish it more than that. I had to walk five miles uphill both ways in the snow barefooted. And I tell people I, we were so poor I couldn't afford a lunchbox, and I'd take a sweet potato in, in my sorghum can. And, and sometimes my mama would bake the sweet potato for me before she sent me to eat a raw sweet potato. And that's all fable. But notice what these people ate. They ate leaves. 
roots, and I'm not talking about turnips and rutabagas and things like that, potatoes. I'm talking about they ate roots of plants. And they also ate sweet potato vines. You say, why did they eat just the vines? That was all there was. They didn't let them stay in the ground long enough to make sweet potatoes. They ate the vines. They were starving to death. And she would not eat when her Chinese friends didn't have anything to eat. I did not realize this until I studied for this message. At the time of her death, she only weighed 50 pounds. A grown woman who weighed 50 pounds. She literally starved herself to death so that her Chinese friends could have food to eat. The mission board heard of her desperate condition they sent a woman named Cynthia Miller, who, by the way, was called to missions from a little church right here in Alabama. And she went over there as a missionary nurse. And the missionaries sent Cynthia Miller on a boat with Lottie Moon, trying to get her back to America where she could be rehabilitated, get some weight on, and save her life. But she was so far gone that the ship reached a harbor in Kobe, Japan. And again, here's December in her life. On December 24th, 1912, Christmas Eve, Lottie Moon died on that ship. Her body was cremated according to Japanese laws. And you can visit her grave in America today. And it's marked as Lottie Moon, the missionary to China. At her death, she looked around the room on the boat and she smiled. And she raised her fists together, not, not in a sign of defiance, but in a sign of love. And all the people who were there realized Lottie Moon knew she was dying. She closed her eyes and went home to be with Jesus. And I got a little long-winded. I'm sorry. You have to turn over a couple of pages to find the rest. I'm almost done. Here's another one of her quotes. Is not the festive season when families and friends exchange gifts in memory of the gift laid on the altar of the world for the redemption of the human race the most appropriate time to consecrate a portion from abounding riches, and some of you have those, and scant poverty, and some of you have those, to send forth the good tidings of great joy into all the earth. She wrote that in 1887, suggesting that a Christmas offering for foreign missions be taken up. The Woman's Missionary Union began taking up that offering for foreign missions before Lottie Moon died. But in 1918, after her death in 1912, the Woman's Missionary Union meeting together decided to name the annual Christmas offering the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering for Foreign Missions. And let me tell you that one thing has not changed. Every penny Every penny you give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering goes to missions. There's no money for publicity. There's no money for administration. Every penny you give in the Lottie Moon Christmas offering goes to the foreign mission fields. Some of it, much of it this year, will probably have to go to the Philippines where we have an extraordinary work going on after the typhoon. We say, what's the, what's, 
What are you trying to get out of us? You're trying to get money? Not first. I really, you know, I don't want you to give me your money anyway. I want you to give God your money. I've never asked you to give money to me as a pastor. The Lottie Moon Christmas offering is money we give to God to spread the gospel. But there are three things I'm going to ask you to do. First of all, I'm going to ask you to pray. I want you to pray. I, I, I'd be remiss. Some of you have already decided what you're going to give. You say, how do you know that? I know Baptist people. I've been a Baptist, a saved Baptist since I was 16. I was a lost Baptist for seven years before that. You say, how would you think when, when you were that, that age? I thought like a lost Baptist. I didn't, I didn't have any idea what prayer was all about. I couldn't pray. The first prayer God ever heard me pray was in a cornfield in Walker County in 1964. But I want to tell you this. We've spent a lot of time talking since then. And I can tell you without a shadow of doubt, you and I will give what we think we ought to give. But when we pray about it, we'll give what God tells us we ought to give. So pray about it. What would God have you to give? Pray for the missionaries. Pray for the people that are working overseas. Pray. Pray for our church. Some of you, some of you are, are exactly in what Lottie Moon talked about. You have scant poverty. You don't have a lot to give. But I want to tell you, it doesn't matter what you have in your bank account. You can be mighty in prayer. And you can pray and God will touch others' lives and they'll give. So pray. And then give. Give what God tells you to do. Don't do what I'd ask you to do. You see, I used to say, well, if everybody gave $100, well, that's not good because everybody can't give $100. And some people who give $100 ought to give 1000 You ask God what you ought to give and then you give what God tells you to do. And God will bless you for that. I, I will promise you this. No matter what you give... You cannot outgive God. You never will be able to outgive God. God's supply is much more vast than mine and yours. And when we give back to Him, He just gives back to us. And I want to tell you this I know where God's heart is. God's heart is for the lost, God's heart is for people who've never heard of Jesus. Can you imagine that? I don't remember ever not hearing about Lottie Moon. I don't remember not ever hearing about who Jesus was. But there are people in this world who've never heard his name one time. And that ought to compel us to pray. And then when God tells us what to give, to give. And then here's the last one. You know what's coming now. I'm very predictable. I'm, I hate to tell you that. You say, well, you sound like a worn out record. Well, I want to tell you this. When y'all do what the worn out record tells you to do, he'll quit doing it, all right? I'll get off this. I want you to go. You say, you want me to go to China? No, I want you to go where God tells you to go. If God tells you to go to Africa, to Mwanza, Tanzania, go there. If God tells you to, to go to South America, to Peru or Ecuador, go there. If God tells you to go across the street, go there. And if you're not willing to go across the street, for God's sake, don't go across the world. Because you won't be effective. You see, we need to be willing to go wherever God sends us. What if Lottie Moon had gone to Korea? I don't know. It wasn't God's will. It was God's will for her to go to China. You say, well, isn't it a shame that all of her work was in vain? Oh, no, 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 no. God's work is never in vain. There's a Chinese church today that is probably stronger and purer than most churches in the United States of America. It may be underground and it may be illegal, because that's the real church. 
Now, some of the churches that are licensed by the state are real churches. They preach the gospel. In fact, Lottie Moon's old church, I think, is licensed by the state now to be existing. But they preach the gospel there. They honor her legacy. Our goal this year for Lottie Moon Christmas offerings, $51,000. You say, how do we set that goal? Our goal for many years now has been enough money to keep one missionary family on the field for a year. We have over 4,800 missionaries. If you add their wives and children, it's over 10,000. And our church has taken on a goal of 51,000. That's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. But I want to tell you this. God's got plenty of money. And you know what he does with it? He gives it to his children. And you know what he'd ask his children to do? He asks his children to tithe to the storehouse. And then he says, and over and above your tithe, give an offering. Don't give your tithe to Lottie Moon. Give an offering. I support a lot of different causes. I support Anz Imani. I'm on the board. And we support Anz Imani as much as we can. Anz Imani does not want our tithe. They know God won't bless that. They want an offering. Lottie Moon Christmas offering is an offering. Pay your tithe, give an offering. You say, well, what's that part about don't let your right hand know what your left hand does? That's almsgiving. That's a completely different thing. That's helping. That's bringing groceries to the church. That's what that is. Or feeding a hungry family at Christmas. Or giving gifts to a child that wouldn't have Christmas. Are you willing to pray, give, and go? Not because of Lottie, but because of Jesus. Lottie would have never gone if it hadn't been for Jesus. And she didn't go there to please Southern Baptist. She went there to please Jesus. Can you imagine what happened on Christmas Eve, 1912, when her soul and spirit slipped out of her little emaciated body and went to be with the Lord? Can you imagine what words she heard? I think I can imagine what she heard. I think she stood before a man with nail-pierced hands. But I think she looked at him, and with eyes of love, he threw his arms open, and he said, Well done. Well done, Lottie. You've been faithful. I'm going to make you a ruler up here. Oh, I want to tell you, one day every one of us will stand before him. I've said it since I was a young preacher. The goal of my life is to stand before Jesus and hear him say, well done. What's the goal for your life today? I hope you want to hear our precious Savior say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the legacy of Lottie Moon. And Lord, she was just a woman. She was a southern woman who was unique. But Lord, you called her, you used her, and she was willing to go the last full measure of her ability to serve you. Father, we don't take up this offering for her, but we remember her sacrifice. And we remember that there are missionaries on the field right now, and there are missionaries who want to go to the field who are waiting on God's people to pray 
to give, to go, and to send. And Father, I pray you'd touch your people that we might give as never before. Not because of Lottie Moon, but because the angel said to some shepherds that I bring you good news today, which will be for all people. For unto you is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. Father, may we go because he came. May we give because he came. May we pray for your leadership because he came. And may we never, ever be the same because you do a work in our lives here this morning for Christ's sake. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.